Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories, and build our diabetes community. My name is Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. I'm fortunate to be joined on today's podcast by the man who's been CEO of Diabetes Victoria since 2013. He's a health economist by training and is a fellow of the Australasian College of Health Service Management. Prior to becoming CEO at Diabetes Victoria, he was CEO of the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne and the Sir Charles Gairdner Hospital in Perth. Craig Bennett, thank you for joining the Diabetes Victoria podcast. My pleasure, Jack. It's uh, great to have you on, and uh, I must say, this is a new initiative that we're launching and, and uh, creating, and, and we're putting together. So I, I really do appreciate you and, and the and the whole organisation support behind it. I, I really think it's a great initiative. What better way than to start an interview with you by talking to listeners and taking them through your journey to how you got to where you are now? As I said, we know you as a CEO as Diabetes Victoria, but uh, you've done quite a lot in the lead up to that. Well, it goes back to a long time ago when I was, um, believe it or not, teaching um, Economics 1 to students at Flinders University. Um, and uh, a fellow that I was uh, mentored by, uh, Bob Wallace, one of the leading economists in Australia, uh, indicated to me that um, there was an emerging field called um, health economics or the economics of health. Um, and was I interested in getting involved? Uh, and I thought, yes, I was interested. Um, and in conjunction with Bob, we did a couple of um, Commonwealth-funded research projects uh, looking at uh, the costs of caring for aged people in different settings um, and also the costs of training nurses in the hospital system versus in the tertiary system. Uh, when we completed those research reports, Bob said to me, if you're really serious about this, I think there's a career option for you, but you need to go to the University of York in England uh, because they just started a master's level course in health economics and some of the best health economists in the world are currently teaching there. Uh, so at my own expense, uh, I packed up and went to York, um, did the course, uh, was taught by some fabulous uh, health economists and uh, that's the thing that's defined my career. Um, I came back to Australia, was fortunate to uh, be given a position on uh, a Royal Commission into the Efficiency and Effectiveness of Hospital Services in Australia and then took a series of appointments uh, in um, the South Australian Health Commission, uh, which ultimately led to my interest in running hospitals. Um, and since then, I've had the great fortune of running um, parts of Guy's Hospital in uh, London, um, Modbury Public Hospital in uh, Adelaide, uh, and of course, you mentioned uh, uh, the Sir Charles Gardner Hospital in Perth and Peter Mack in Melbourne. And obviously, these are all positions um, as your interest in running hospitals and, and how that works. Have you always been interested in the health field specifically, or was it more so that you know you were um, doing the normal economics, I suppose, and then sort of fell into the health in- industry? I made a conscious choice to uh, orientate my uh, economics into health. It's a fascinating area. Um, we tend to think of uh, health being dominated by what we spend on health. But the reality is that 50% of what uh, Australia spends on health is spent in the last year of people's lives. Uh, And there is an enormous need uh, for that money to be spent earlier to prevent 
people developing chronic conditions such as diabetes, which can have a significant impact on hospital costs down the path. So I've always been interested in that um, uh, dichotomy um, and that view that investing in prevention can have significant downstream uh, uh, benefits. I've always also been interested in hospitals because having travelled reasonably widely, uh, hospitals are their own communities. uh, And if you want to see uh, the values of a particular country, uh, go and visit the local public hospital. And I've visited some public hospitals in some very affluent countries and some very poor countries. But hospitals tell you um, how people are treated when they're vulnerable and desperately ill, um, and they do an amazing power of good. So I've always been a great fan of hospitals uh, as a barometer of society and how people are looked after. And looking specifically at your appointment with Diabetes Victoria, you've been um, here since 2013. So previously worked for the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, you've, you've ran hospitals. Why specifically diabetes now, the area that you've, that you've chosen to focus in on? The big picture is I've spent uh, most of my professional life looking after people in hospitals. Um, And the opportunity to then focus on keeping people out of hospital was a great opportunity, uh, uh, largely oriented towards that prevention aspect. Um, I'd always known a little bit about diabetes. Uh, Since I've been the the CEO of Diabetes Victoria, um, what I've learned is that um, it's a relentless condition um, and um, it's a very complex condition. Um, And it's also a lot of discrimination Um, and stigma associated with it. So I've learned that um, people with diabetes can be um, severely discriminated against in terms of society, but in terms of employment, uh, in terms of getting um, a licence to drive a car uh, or travel insurance and so forth. Um, And that does worry me that we're not treating people who have a chronic condition uh, particularly well. Um, I've also found that um, there is a, a sense in which the language that we use to describe people with a chronic condition has been quite pejorative, quite negative, um, quite shaming. Um, And that's also appealed to my sense of um, justice, that we're not treating um, a very complex condition in a a more appropriate way. Um, On the upside, what I have learned in the past six years is that there's a tremendous amount of work going on um, where people throughout the world are dedicated to improving the lives of people living with diabetes and hopefully orienting us towards a situation of cure. And you talked about many of those key words around stigma, um, discrimination, probably a lack of understanding uh, is what I've noticed. I was diagnosed in, in 2012, just before I turned 21. And there are so many misconceptions about diabetes. And I can honestly say uh, when the doctor sat me down in, in his office and said to me, look, unless I'm a really bad Doctor, I think you've got diabetes. Um, now, he was a footy club doctor, and as most people in footy clubs are, I tried to lighten the mood a little bit. But again, I was 20 years old playing AFL footy at the time, and, and my thought was, isn't diabetes something you get when you're a bit older, maybe you're a little bit overweight, you don't eat well, and you haven't looked after yourself? I didn't understand that you could get it when you're a bit younger. And I think that lack of understanding of diabetes itself goes a long way to um, to, I suppose, the discrimination um, or even the stigma associated with it because people just purely uneducated on the topic well enough. Um, I agree. And uh, although I knew a little bit about diabetes before I took the, the job at Diabetes Victoria, um, those myths, um, misunderstandings, uh, misconceptions um, you know, were really brought home to me very quickly. And you're absolutely right. Uh, as a result, Diabetes Victoria has run various campaigns to um, you know, um, debunk the myths um, and to... 
um, let people understand how complex diabetes is. Uh, for example, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition uh, for which there is no cure um, and uh, you can't easily prevent getting type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a metabolic condition and we do know that um, the, the types of things that uh, you can do to uh, prevent getting type 2 diabetes, uh, such as eating well, maintaining a healthy weight and exercising regularly, can reduce your chances of getting diabetes or the complications of di type 2 diabetes by about 60%. Uh, equally, with gestational diabetes, it clearly applies to um, women who are pregnant. Um, it resolves when women deliver, but we do know that post-GDM, um, women who have had that condition are at significantly greater risk of getting type 2 diabetes later in life. Some of the misconceptions are, as you said, that you only get type 1 diabetes if you're really young and you only get type 2 diabetes uh, later in life. What we are finding is that there are much more young people getting type 2 diabetes um, and we're worried that that's been driven by sedentary lifestyles, uh, by people not exercising enough, uh, overeating, um, particularly um, highly processed foods or what we call junk food, um, and that's a great concern to us. Uh, we're also seeing uh, people develop type 1 diabetes much later in life. Um, the other issue is that we're seeing um, far greater uh, subspecialization in our diagnosis of diabetes. So it's not as simple as type 1, type 2 gestational. We're now seeing, if you like, subcategories of type 1, subcategories of type 2. And as we've seen with cancer, as we understand more about the condition, uh, we're actually identifying different types, which then puts the uh, emphasis on different types of medication to best treat those different types of diabetes. One thing I've seen in my six and a half years at Diabetes Victoria is a tremendous explosion in uh, the sophistication of devices, uh, but also in the oral therapies that uh, people have access to to manage their diabetes better. And you spoke about the different types of diabetes, but I, I look around at myself as now an ex-AFL player, but the way I manage my diabetes versus I know there are a couple of other AFL players who have it and one player I coached this year at the Werribee Footy Club has it. And with all those different treatments and different ways to administer insulin, some people are on the pump. We, we've spoken with Tiffany Johnson on this podcast about, um, you know, trans, transferring to the pump um, after years being on injections. I'm personally still on injections. There is no right way for everyone and it is working out what's best for you individually because the AFL players in terms of they all live a great lifestyle, they eat well, they, they train hard, they have a good routine, but they're all doing different things. And I think that's just a, a key example um, of what you spoke about of how many different ways there are to uh, manage it and, and how many different therapies I suppose there are for it. Uh, you're right. It is all about uh, choice and what suits some people doesn't suit other people. That's also the case for um, diets and so forth. And there are a multitude of diets out there which uh, work for some people, don't work for all people. Uh, and Diabetes Victoria has a view um, to not promote any particular diet. It's also the case with devices. Uh, some people are big fans of continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, some people are absolutely of the view that flash glucose monitoring is the, the way forward. We are seeing now a lot of people who are very sophisticated and able to access information on the internet doing their own technology. Um, and this is producing um, a whole range of challenges for us because some of these um, do-it-yourself technologies are not approved by the right regulatory authorities um, and it produces issues for health professionals as to whether uh, they can um, endorse these products 
uh, or whether uh, it's a question of giving support because we know these people are going to you know, put these technologies together because they've seen how they can work and there's a lot of stuff on the internet where people, for example, in the United States or Europe are doing it. So it is all about choice. It is all about people adjusting what suits them best. Uh, but a lot of people with diabetes are very sophisticated to access lots of information. Uh, they're very demanding of what they want in terms of their devices. They're also very demanding about tailored medications to suit their particular lifestyles. 100%. And you talk about your six years at Diabetes Victoria and what you've seen thus far. And you just mentioned that Diabetes Victoria doesn't endorse one specific diet. And, you know, there is, um, it is very per- dependent on each individual person. I suppose your personal day to day role at Diabetes and then, um, or Diabetes Victoria and the Diabetes Victoria role and, and the mission and the goal of the organisation, what exactly is it? that you personally are achieving, looking to achieve day-to-day, but also, you know, as a continual moving forward step-by-step type of thing? I'm the Chief Executive Officer, so uh, I'm responsible for the efficient and effective management of the organisation. We have a a turnover now that is close to $30 million a year. Um, I report to the Board of Diabetes Victoria and I have my performance reviewed on an annual basis. Um, I strongly believe that our mission to support, empower and campaign for all Victorians affected by or at risk of diabetes is what it's all about. And I constantly say to the staff uh, that ultimately, you know, we need to uh, look at how we do our job in terms of are we making the lives of people in Victoria affected by diabetes or risk of diabetes better. Uh, And that's a pretty simple ask and we shouldn't get too fussed by a whole lot of other performance indicators and so forth because we're a charity, we're trying to do our best for people who live with a relentless and complex condition. Um, The things that are really important to me at Diabetes Victoria uh, have been that we have uh, developed um, a commercial business which now uh, is uh, very successful. Uh, That's our partnership with Savers. It's all about people donating uh, pre-loved clothes and small household goods items which um, they donate to us and we sell to Savers, which is a uh, for-profit retail outlet on a contracted basis, on a volume basis, and that gives us access to significant sums of money Uh, which are non-government, not tied to a particular purpose, and enables us to do a whole lot of things sooner and better. Um, So that has been very important. We've also been very um, successful early adopters of technology. So we've adopted Salesforce as our customer relations system um, and introduced a very sophisticated uh, telephony system based on pure cloud. And this has given us an amazing ability to uh, reach out to the people who regularly donate to Diabetes Victoria, who are our supporters, and we can target messages to them in a way that we know will be well responded. It's been a very powerful uh, set of uh, parameters to enable us to uh, expand our reach. In terms of what's really important to me at the organisation, there are probably three really important pillars uh, that I'm very proud of that I've put in place at Diabetes Victoria. Firstly, is a formal commitment to quality standards. So we're now fully ISO quality accredited. uh, And that means that people who deal with us know that we meet certain standards in how we deal with uh, our suppliers, our procurement processes. It's all documented. Uh, We look at very carefully the complaints that we get and the things that we can improve. It's all about a commitment to continuous improvement in a formal structured way. And that's assessed on a regular basis by ISO auditors. Second thing is a a focus on evaluation. Um, We do lots of things we think really well. Um, But it's not the same as are they uh, as targeted and efficient as they should be. So we do a whole range of training courses. 
comprehensive courses. Type 1, we have our um, Daphne course. Uh, type 2, we have our Desmond course. Uh, we have topic-specific courses, a whole suite of smarts programs, supermarket tours, carb counting, and so forth. Uh, I need to be assured that the money that comes into us uh, from um, bequests, uh, from fundraising events, uh, from our commercial business is as targeted, as effective as possible. So evaluating what we do on a regular basis is pretty important to the organisation to make sure that that money is being well used. And the third thing is um, consumer engagement. Uh, we have always done uh, engaging with our consumers uh, in you know, a, a very comprehensive way, but in the past it's been pretty ad hoc. We now have a very structured approach to consumer engagement. We have a formal consumer advisory committee, which is a committee of the board. So the board is engaged about what's important to people uh, who live with diabetes, notwithstanding the fact that there are people on the board who have lived experience with diabetes. We also have a very sophisticated uh, consumer community engagement policy uh, and a, a matrix of engagement. So we can handle uh, consumers who just want information about how they can best manage their diabetes right through at the other end of the continuum, consumers who want to be empowered to be um, fully engaged in their care, to ask their uh, care teams the right questions to make sure they get the right medications and the right devices to help them live well with diabetes. And that's ultimately what we're on about. Moving forward now a little bit, we do have World Diabetes Day coming up. So that's on November 14th. How important is World Diabetes Day as a general whole to raise awareness for this chronic condition that you speak about? It's one of the great opportunities we have to engage with um, our stakeholders, uh, with the media and the public and with government uh, about um, the need to raise awareness about diabetes. Because as we uh, talked previously, there's still a lot of uh, misconceptions about diabetes. Uh, World Diabetes Day is uh, now UN sanctioned. It's on the 14th of November each year, and that's the anniversary of the birth of Sir Frederick Banting, uh, who in the early 20s uh, was one of the first people to uh, inject insulin into humans. Um, and that decision and uh, that uh, pr process has transformed the lives of billions of people since. Prior to uh, 1922, uh, if you had type 1 diabetes, you died because there wasn't insulin to regulate blood glucose levels. So this is a great opportunity for us to uh, reflect on Banting's legacy. Uh, still the youngest person to ever receive a Nobel Prize for medicinal physiology. Um, he died tragically in a plane crash in the 40s, so he didn't have a long life, but his impact has been profound. There is a, an eternal flame in the birthplace of uh, Frederick Banting in um, London, Ontario, not London, England, um, and that eternal flame burns until there is a cure for type 1 diabetes. Um, World Diabetes Day this year has a theme of diabetes and families. Uh, it's uh, the theme promoted by the International Diabetes Foundation and Federation and will certainly reflect our activities. What we typically do is have a reception on the evening of World Diabetes Day um, and we uh, tend to uh, then reward or award um, the Victorian researchers who have been awarded uh, 2020 or the subsequent years research grants from the Diabetes Australia Research Program. So this is a national competitive peer-reviewed program. Diabetes Victoria puts considerable sums of money into the program. Uh, this year there's a pool of $4 million for grants to be awarded for projects to get underway in 2020, um, and we expect that there will be a number of Victorian researchers uh, that will be um, awarded their grants at our uh, function. Uh, it's a great opportunity to 
um, raise awareness, but also to reflect on the importance of funding uh, world-class research uh, to enable people to live better and hopefully move us further down the path of a cure for type 1 diabetes. So we're delighted to do it. We do it on an annual basis. Um, and we also have uh, Associate Professor John Wentworth uh, this year who's going to speak on uh, his uh, trial net results, which came out in the middle of the year. Uh, and John and his team, as part of a worldwide trial, have identified a number of oral therapies um, to be given to uh, children uh, with all the markers that they're going to develop type 1 diabetes and been able to delay the onset of them getting type 1 diabetes by two years on average. So that's a fantastic achievement um, and we hope that that work will continue to enable not only the type 1 diabetes for children at risk of type 1 diabetes even further but might unlock a cure. Which we all hope, and we hope before long that that eternal flame is uh, is put out. So we'll, we'll get back to those DARP awards uh, in a second. Just quickly going back to World Diabetes Day, um, you spoke about the theme of families, and it's really important that Diabetes Victoria. It's the aim is to help everyone affected by diabetes, and that's not just those living with it, but that could be family members, it's carers, it could be employers or um, teachers or sporting coaches, whatever it might be. How can listeners um, help support World Diabetes Day or, or get involved, whether it be the workplace, in schools, at sporting clubs, etc.? I think if you go to our um, website, uh, diabetesvic.org.au, there's a raft of material there about our work and how we engage uh, across different parts of the community. We're well known for uh, the work we do in schools uh, and um, you know, for a long time, Diabetes Victoria has been a leader in this area. We work with uh, schools to... Um, enable children to be safe at school if they have type 1 diabetes. And there are probably 2,700 children in Victorian schools. So our diabetes action and management plans are used by all schools in Victoria, whether they're government, whether they're um, independent or private. Um, they're used in conjunction with um, our paediatric endocrinology teams at the Royal Children's and at Modest Children's Hospital. Um, and our goal is to ensure that kids at school don't feel different to other people who don't have type 1 diabetes. We're well known for the work we do with camps uh, and there's a generation of children in Victoria since 1954 who have been to our camps to realise that they're not alone uh, and that they can um, develop their independence in managing their diabetes, make lifelong friends uh, and we have a lot of people who go to camps as uh, campers who then come back as volunteers and professional helpers. Uh, we're well known throughout Victoria by running a whole range of peer support groups where we sponsor uh, groups of people in the community throughout the length and breadth of Victoria who get together because they're mums whose children have type 1 diabetes or they're adults who have type 2 diabetes or they're um, uh, suffering from type 1 diabetes themselves. So uh, we're well known in, in the community. So um, we want to get the message out to those that don't necessarily engage at that level about the seriousness and complexity of diabetes to understand that the language that people use about diabetes is really important, uh, that there are issues of stigma and discrimination um, in how people regard people with diabetes um, and, in fact, um, how people can be severely impacted. And we do know that that can trip to emotional distress and sometimes trip over to, to mental health issues. Uh, so one of the things that Diabetes Victoria does is fund in conjunction with Deakin University, the Australian Centre for Behavioural Research in Diabetes, which takes a view that diabetes is not only a relentless physical challenge, uh, and as you mentioned, it involves 
families, loved ones, carers and so forth. Uh, but it's also a significant psychosocial issue and that brings up issues of coping, of um, distress, emotional issues that, as I said, can lead to, to mental health. So um, we uh, do a lot of that work. Um, we've got fantastic um, researchers in Melbourne at uh, Walter and Eliza Hall, uh, at Baker, at St Vincent's, uh, and in funding psychosocial research, uh, we have funded something that doesn't compete with other researchers in Melbourne, uh, and now the Australian Centre for Behavioural Research in Diabetes is known throughout the world for its work. So World Diabetes Day for us is an opportunity to showcase all we do, uh, but to focus in particular on uh, the complexity and seriousness of diabetes for people to understand that someone with type 1 diabetes has a series of different issues from someone who's got type 2 diabetes who focuses with a different view from people, someone who's got gestational diabetes. Um, we're also particularly anxious that there are a number of areas emerging um, that we need to do better in, um, particularly the youth and youth transition area. Um, when uh, children get to a certain age and go to university or leave home or start work, they tend to disconnect with us. Um, and we all know at university we engage in, or shall I say, riskier behaviours than normal, um, and uh, we lose contact with people during those years. They tend to come back to us, uh, but we're anxious in those years when people are experimenting and finding their role in the world um, before they then start careers and so forth uh, to connect better with them. So youth and youth transition is a particular focus for us. We are particularly concerned also with women post-gestational diabetes because we need to be better identifying those at greater risk of getting type 2 diabetes later in life. Two other areas which are pretty important to us, which are also the subject of Royal Commissions at the moment, are people with diabetes in aged care settings and people with diabetes who also have physical disabilities. So there are a number of areas that you know, we want to raise um, our engagement um, and to make sure that people in those areas get better services because we know uh, we're um, you know, trying to connect with them and it's hard um, and we're wanting to make sure that we do that better in future. And you're right, there are so many wide-reaching different areas. You've got the youth that you talked about disconnecting to, um, you know, aged care facilities, et cetera. So there's certainly a lot to raise awareness for and, and a lot to fight for. Getting back to these DARP awards. So these are the Diabetes Australia Reach Research Program um, awards and, and scholarships, I suppose. that um, they are. How important are these to what we're trying to do and, and to ultimately ho- hoping to find a cure for type 1 or to, to lessen the impacts on, on other types of diabetes? When we survey our members and supporters, the one thing that they overwhelmingly say to us is, um, if you raise money uh, because you're good at what you do, because you've got a commercial business, because people leave us bequests, uh, we run fundraising events which are very successful uh, and so forth, and we get money in from people who put money on the table to be members of our organisations, they want us to fund research. And overwhelmingly, that's what we do. So in the last financial year, we recorded an operating surplus of just under $4 million, which is a pretty spectacular result. And of that, we've put uh, almost immediately $2.7 million into research. We believe that putting money into national competitive peer-reviewed research is the best way that we can send a message to our supporters that we are trying to improve their lives now, but looking forward uh, to improving the lives even more of the people who will develop diabetes in the future. Uh, There are fantastic researchers in Melbourne. It is true that Victoria bats above its uh, 
batting average uh, for medical and, and health research, and we have fabulous researchers. Uh, and I expect on World Diabetes Day there'll be a number of Victorian researchers who will you know, impress us with the types of things they're looking at. I recently had the good fortune of being at the major European meeting in Barcelona, uh, you know, 14, 15,000 people there. It's mainly a biomedical conference. And the thing that struck me is the fantastic work going on. So here we are on the cusp of the 100th anniversary of the first time insulin was uh, injected into humans to control blood glucose levels. And we're on the cusp of replacing insulin uh, and metformin, which is the the main drug used for type 2 diabetes, uh, with a whole range of new inhibitors um, and agonists. So the inhibitors uh, are basically uh, what we call SGLT2 inhibitors. um, And for type 2 diabetes, uh, they control um, insulin uh, blood glucose levels by basically flushing out uh, the uh, excess uh, glucose in your weed. Um, and they have fantastic uh, renal outcomes um, and cardiovascular outcomes in addition to lowering what we call HbA1c levels. At the same time, we've got a whole suite of uh, what are called receptor agonists, and they provoke the body to produce more insulin. So these oral therapies are fantastic, and I saw some clinical trial results of major international trials that have been going on for a number of years with great results. And some of the trials have been stopped early because the drugs now are going through regulatory approval and they are going to improve the lives of people with diabetes even more, moving away from um, insulin and metformin, uh, given that they've been fantastic workhorses over many, many years for people with diabetes. So that gives me great optimism that the amount of effort that's going into research, which we're in part funding, um, is ultimately going to not only, as you said, improve lives now, uh, but have a significant you know, follow-on effect uh, in the future. And you know, we are moving closer uh, to that cure. One step, one step closer every day, Craig. We, we have just about run out of time and, and I could talk to you for another three or four hours. There's so much to cover. But before I do go, I just sort of leave it with you and, and see if there are any final messages you would like to leave, uh, whether it be about upcoming World Diabetes Day, about Diabetes Victoria itself, um, any, anything at all that you would like to get across to our listeners. Thank you. It's, it's a great opportunity. Um, Diabetes Victoria has got a proud history. Uh, we think we're good at lots of things that we do, um, but we're not perfect and we're always wanting to improve. So we listen to our consumers. We want to do our best to support them. We're always interested in suggestions and so forth about how we can do things better. So we do lots of events and lots of training courses. We evaluate them, as I said. Uh, but what's really important is to make sure that from the people who live with diabetes in Victoria, uh, that we're responding to things that are important to them. Uh, so the, I'd say to your listeners in, in summary, if there's anything that we can do, tell us about it and we'll try and do it better. Uh, and we provide a whole range of, of resources. If you go to our website, um, diabetesvic.org.au, there's a lot of stuff that's available, uh, but we're always interested in engaging with people uh, to improve their lives. Craig, I think you've summed it up so well. Uh, Once again, thank you for coming on the podcast, not only for coming on it, but also supporting it and and allowing this initiative to take off. I think it's a really great forum to to help um, mitigate a lot of those issues you spoke about around um, inclusion, people feeling alone, and just continuing continuing to build a a diabetes community out there. So once again, thanks for coming on. I've I've really enjoyed the chat and uh, looking forward to World Diabetes Day. And thank you. uh, Having ambassadors like you who have lived experience and are dedicated to 
Uh, getting the message out there is really important to us because it helps engage with lots of communities in a way that we'd otherwise uh, have to think about how we do that. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.